Have you ever wondered how deep tech companies actually start? Well, we were too. So in this podcast, we'll be interviewing scientists and entrepreneurs that have taken their ideas out of the lab and turned them into startups. I'm Antonia. And I'm Christina. And this is Startup the Science. This podcast is brought to you by Enam Berlin, the innovation network for advanced materials, bringing together the brightest minds in material science. Visit us at enam.berlin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Startup the Science. Today's episode features another startup from our 2019 AdmaCom program. If you want to learn more about AdmaCom, the Advanced Materials Competition, you can go to www.enum.berlin slash AdmaCom or have a listen to the last episode where I do a brief explanation of what AdmaCom is at the beginning of the episode. Today's episode is with the startup Thermulon. They are creating a high-performance, non-combustible insulation material which is really cool. But what's also cool is that a little birdie, a little birdie named Antonia, my co-host, told me that Thermulon has been applying to some programs and talking with some investors, which ultimately might bring them to Berlin. Knock on wood. We'll see how that goes and we'll keep you updated on their progress. But without further ado, here is Sam and Alex of Thermulon. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. <laughs> This took you by surprise. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. So, uh, Thermulon, huh? <laughs> How do you pronounce Thermulon? <laughs> There are different versions. There is the English Thermulon, the Irish. Do the Irish. Thermulon. <laughs> One of our favorites, really. My favorite. Christina, how do you say it in Japanese? Oh, gosh. It would be Terumu. Terumurone. Okay. Terumurone. <laughs> that, that could be your next market. Sounds Italian. Terumurone. Termulone. As you can see, a very versatile name, as is yeah. the technology that it represents. <laughs> nice transition. Well done. <laughs> so um, maybe we start by um, introducing yourselves as the people that you are first, and then we will talk about Thermulon. Hi, I'm Sam. I started Thermulon back in February, really, when we first came up with the idea to make non-combustible, high-performance building insulation materials. Before that, I was doing my PhD at Imperial College in organic chemistry, and I kind of postdoctored around London a bit, and I was looking for how do I jump out of academia and do a science startup. Mm -hmm. Hi, Sam. Nice to have you. And then we also have Alex. Hi, I'm uh, Alex. I'm here all the way from the great wide nation of Canada. <laughs> and uh, I'm a chemical engineer, and I have a lowly bachelor's in chemical engineering, which uh, in Europe doesn't mean much. <laughs> But I've worked a lot, um, and I was working in process scale-up and development in industry, and just decided I wanted to get on something that was more uh, technology-focused and science. And uh, so I met Sam, and that's how the journey began. Aww. And we'll get to the story of how you guys met a bit later, because <laughs> it's a good story. But um, before that, let's talk about Thermulon. So what is, actually, let's go a step back. What is the problem that Thermulon is solving? Yeah, so it really comes from changing regulation in the UK. Basically, at the moment, if you want to build a new tall building in the UK, your only option is to use mineral wool. 
which is, uh, doesn't set on fire, but it's very poor in terms of its thermal performance. It takes up a huge amount of floor space, you need three, four hundred millimeters to meet the regulation. And the reason is because previously where people use plastic insulation, um, because of a tragic fire, Grenfell Tower, back in 2017, all of that plastic material was banned. And so now the industry is searching for any material that can kind of have this non-combustible nature and is thermally high performance so they can save on floor space. And so that's where we came in and we thought, how do we make that material from scratch? How do we take niche chemical things like aerogels, which are very expensive at the moment, and how do we completely change their process from the from the chemistry up and optimize for scale and price? And so that's kind of, that was the starting point. That's a good starting point. So really you came up with this idea only relatively recently or was it years worth of, of work and and it's come no, to this it point now? Super, how, super how quick. No, super many, quick. no years at all. <laughs> actually about one year. So actually after okay. I went to join the Deep Science Ventures Accelerator in London and they have a very innovative approach which is they, they assume that most people's first ideas are crap and you should you should find Probably a problem a good assumption, yes. and then and then you need to really focus on the problem and then find like if the problem's good enough you'll find a thousand ideas to solve it and so i came in looking at co2 and the climate space and energy efficiency and i went through everything from grid systems energy storage up conversion of co2 where can you start businesses that venture capital wants to invest in that are profitable and climate positive. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult <laughs> because CO2 holds no value and oil and gas is inherently cheap. No matter what anyone says, it's insanely cheap and it funds every high energetic process in the world. And so that's when I started looking at buildings efficiency, energy efficiency. And I heard a fact that 38% of the EU's energy, I think, or something, goes to heating homes and offices. And in the UK, that's around 25%, I think. So clearly, if you can improve the performance of insulation materials, you can have a huge effect on our CO2 output. Mm -hmm. And especially at the moment, there was this kind of opportunity to enter because of all this regulatory change in the UK. And so I was like, okay, this is a great space to enter. So that, that process, that scoping process was probably six months, about August to February. Is that six months? So that's very clever. So you found the problem first yeah. and then the, the solution and the technology came from that. Yeah. So yeah, originally I was like, oh, how do we make insulation materials more sustainable and biodegradable and this sort of thing? And I went out and started trying to do like commercial traction market research quite early and found everyone was just like, well, it sits in a wall for at least 100 years, ideally. You don't want it to biodegrade. And you're like, good point. <laughs> and secondly, they're like, does it set on fire? And most biodegradable things were carbon-based, which means at some point it will set on fire. And so every time I just kept coming up to, does it set on fire? Does it set on fire? So from that early phase of like, how do we make sustainable materials? My assumption was biodegradable and it completely switched to, no, there has to be, um, it has to be non-combustible. It has to have this thermal performance and we need to make at least 100,000 tons a year because the global insulation market is so big. And so there was like these metrics that I had and I was like, okay, what, what are the materials that do this? Mm -hmm. And then that was a case of like scoping out those materials. Okay, so you had the problem. You knew what the solution should do and what it should look like, mm -hmm. more or less. So how did you then come up with the solution? It was, it was just a lot of kind of this flip-flopping between calling up academics, just like messaging people on LinkedIn, people in the industry, like absolutely just bombarding LinkedIn basically, and academic websites and searching for uh, materials. I was reading a lot about like, you know, just keywords, nanoporous, microstructure, different things like this, kind of smashing those into Google, looking through 
reading papers. I must have read well over 100 odd papers in aerogels and before that even more like in general. So I was kind of like, originally I didn't want to go and look into aerogel materials because they're like so heavily researched in the past and there are commercial processes out there and I wanted something completely different. But there just isn't really anything else like that that can hit the cost criteria, even though aerogels struggle to do that. <laughs> so like, if you look at other materials that are out there that have these like, non-combustible kind of ability to make tiny, tiny pores to be thermally insulating, there isn't much out there. Kind of, I was like, okay, well, it has to be aerogels. What's the problem with them? Why are they so expensive? And that was then a case of speaking to academics, understanding all of that from their perspective. So I've spoken to like 30, 30 or 40 different academics from like PhDs and postdocs and professors, kind of understanding that whole process of making these materials and then being like, okay, well, how do we systematically take the best bits of research, speak to people who have used these in industry and worked with these in industry and then kind of systematically take this approach to make a new process that could finally hit like the the cheap cost criteria needed to enter construction. So that's amazing. So you've done a lot of research before you even started working on it to see what else was out there. Yeah. And collect bits and pieces of information from various sources and put mm. everything together. Mm. And much. when does Alex come in to the picture? Well, <laughs> I um, I was I was kind of from I guess probably April, maybe before February, about February, March, we designed the process and I was working with some advisors that I had that kind of come on board who'd worked, worked in industry previously. So they worked with me to kind of design this process with their experience and what I'd done and how the chemistry should work. And then I was like, well, how much would it cost to make this if you built a plant? And I was like, how do you build a plant? And then I started looking at chemical engineering and I was like, oh, this is why it's a completely different subject. It's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I have no concept of any of it. And so I was like, well, I better find a co-founder that's a chemical engineer. And so I started again, like smashing LinkedIn, looking <laughs> at like emailing departments, chemical engineering departments in the UK. And I was like, well, if I email them, I better put a, a job on angel list. And the main reason was just to have a link. So it was there and I could send it to different people. I didn't actually expect anything to come through angel list but then and then lo and behold like an angel from <laughs> heaven and that's why they call it angel list yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean i had been working already in process engineering and scale up but i was sort of you know i was looking around for something new sort of like a startup space quite technology and, and science focused um, but I definitely wasn't looking to start a company. Like that was not on my radar whatsoever. And some friend had told me about AngelList because they said, "Oh, if you're looking to work in a startup and sort of new ideas, there's lots of stuff." And then I saw, you know, new process engineering company, London. Sounds interesting. Put my resume up there, and you know, I figured I had something to add because, like Sam said, the whole industrial side is something that from academia you don't always really understand. But I have a bit of both. I had done sort of like fuel cell development, R&D, and lately I'd been working in like heavy industrial chemical engineering. So I thought I had something to add, and uh, I sent in my resume, and then, you know, it was sort of just a phone call matchmaking process. <laughs> and next thing I'd, you know, you're a co-founder. Exactly, yeah. I'd, <laughs> I'd walk out sketchily of my office at lunch hour to go like call Sam, and I'd sit in the lobby of other buildings, and we'd have these phone conversations, and sort of over time, I guess, I became convinced somehow that it was a good idea. I slowly wore him down. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, so it was, it was kind of like, so I'd, I'd interviewed quite a few people, and, I'd, and I, I'd, I'd kind of 
every time I'd be like, oh, you have a background in chemical engineering, I'm starting this company, we're doing this. And then I'd be like, do you, have you ever thought about starting a company? They'd be like, no. They'd be like, have you, have you, might you be interested in starting a company? I'm like, they'd be like, no. And I'm like, why have we spent 40 minutes talking? <laughs> and um, that was like, uh, with a lot, of, a lot of people just, you know, I, it was difficult finding chemical engineers with an appetite for risk, um, which seems to be like they're few and far between. I'd, I'd just like to add in that I was unaware of this, and I'm very pleased to hear that the reason I was chosen is because it was hard to find other people. <laughs> Gives me a lot of confidence. You thought you were just the only one that applied. And there were, obviously, other good people. But I, I did, like, in that early stage when I first started looking, it was kind of boring. And so I started, like, very, very early on in conversation where I'd interview people, I'd be like, do you want to start a company? And if they're like, no, I'd be like, cool, cheers, bye. <laughs> um, and then, like, we spoke to Alex, and I'm like, do you want to start a company? He was like... I guess so, maybe, we'll see. <laughs> and I was like, let's keep going and see how this goes. Um, and then, yeah, it, like, from early stage, he had a, had a lot to say about, like, what he thought we could do and kind of giving the metrics. And uh, he helped a lot with, we did a collaboration with Cranfield University uh, to look at, like, plant design with a master's student. And he helped a lot there. And I was like, this guy clearly knows his shit and what he's talking about and, um, you know, comes at it from a... A different angle. I was like, he should, he should come on board full time. I, th I think also the main thing was I said no to a lot of stuff, which I think a lot of people don't say when they're in like a job application process. Sam would be like, should we use this technology? I'd be like, no, that's a terrible idea. I'm like, perfect. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> you liked it um, anyway. That's nice. Yeah. And so yeah, we kept having these like early, early one because of the time difference. It'd be like Alex would get up at like six or yeah. Uh, yeah, something in the morning, so that we could have like a hour Skype conversation and talk over different things before he went to work. And like a beautiful <laughs> long distance relationship. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so and on. then um, and then so we'd we'd kind of agreed uh, he would be he would be coming to London, and we were still starting to sort out employment contracts and visa and what that looked like, and he'd become a co-founder with me. And then I got the call from Admacom. 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 <laughs> and um, sounds a bit like Thermilon. Yeah, <laughs> Thermilon at Admacom. <laughs> and I was like, "This is great! Like, why don't? What? Like, it'd be great for Alex to come to this. Like, just like quit a job right now, just come. Like, and um, it will allow him to catch up with the business really quickly. We get to like um, actually spend time together working on stuff." Uh, like really full pelt, share a hostel room. <laughs> Except <laughs> that's that didn't what you happen. get when you come to Admacom. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, and and really like uh, hash out our agenda and what we're going to do over the next six months. Are you regretting this decision already, or was it a good heavily, idea? <laughs> heavily regretting. No. Oh no! It was a fantastic decision. So like, I don't know. I think it's gone really well so far. Yeah, I think I think it's been great. I mean, for a blind date, like corporate <laughs> corporate blind date. I mean. So we should so, say we're now at the almost end of Admacom. Yeah. The guys have been here for two weeks. Yeah. So I think if you got along for two weeks, also yeah. sharing a hostel room. But it, but it was like the, the, first time, the first time we met was in Berlin at Admacom. We'd never met in person before. So That's it was what Admacom so, does. So romantic. Bring people together. <laughs> they met online. And then. I, I, would, I would say, though, I didn't, um, I didn't realize how far along some of the other uh, companies in Admacom are. And like, yeah, maybe we could discuss a little bit about that, about where we are with the project. Yes, the that would be great. So um, obviously you are pretty early stage, mm. but let's talk about how early stage and what your next steps are. Yeah, so I guess 
as I said, came up with this idea in February, kind of incorporated in April. We won a grant with Coast, it was called. It's a collaboration between Durham University and the Centre for Process Innovation up in the northeast of England. And they um, kind of have started the lab work. So that was, okay, we had this process. It was on a piece of paper. It seemed like it would be a good idea. We should probably go to a lab and check that it's a good idea. And because we're not a university spin-off, we, didn't, we don't have a, a natural home, um, which is great from like an IP perspective, because it means we own everything. But from an actual doing things perspective, it makes it really, really tough, because it's a chemistry project and we don't have anywhere to do chemistry. So at the moment, we are building that proof of concept. So the first kind of results are in, the process makes aerogel powders, as we hoped it would, but we haven't got much further than that. So the next kind of step is this optimization of the process. Um, and then once we have kind of a process that we know chemically can make these materials, that's where Alex comes in. Yeah, I'll just step in there. I mean, as, as far as optimizing, it's really optimizing for scale. You know, at a at a lab basis, the product, the uh, the process produces the material, and there's a lot of you know there are a lot of processes out there that at a lab scale are quite interesting. But when you try to bring them to sort of you know metric ton per day status, there's a lot of kinks that you have to work out, and uh, that's what we're raising funding for now, and that's what we're launching into, and I I think it's gonna be really exciting. And how long do you think this might take? So you still at the stage need to be in a lab, so you can finalize that part, and then you'll go into scaling up. Yeah. How long do you think this, this process is going to be, and what kind of support maybe um, you, might, you might need along the way? I mean, yeah, we need you know, a couple more months in the lab just to also confirm sort of the properties of the material and, uh, and the consistency. But I think, I think where we are at now, that should be achievable quite quickly. And after that, yeah, we need to build a pilot plant. So that's where Sam and I literally need to get out the wrenches. I've worked on a couple of pilot plants before. You usually start just sort of in the corner of a lab or kind of a low-scale industrial space and build it out of PVC and maybe a couple stainless steel reactors. And, you know, you literally play around with it like a, you know, like a kid's machine or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, try different parameters, and I think I think that process, you know, sort of a year or maybe un- under a year, I think we can do it. A year would be sort of the standard for industry, but you know, given that it's us, <laughs> I, think, I think six months. I think you can do it faster. At least six. No, I mean no, not 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 six months, but I think under a year, yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, you're quite flexible in terms of where you would be based, right? Because we had conversations about maybe you coming to Berlin or staying in London. We would love it if you came to Berlin, of course. But um, what what do you think is going to happen? Where do you see yourself? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, from what I've found, you know, like we, so we, um, in August, uh, Deep Science Ventures, the, the kind of accelerator program, they class themselves, they're like a venture builder. And so they also invest. So they invested 50,000 to uh, help build the proof of concept. And I've already gone out there and started trying to speak to uh, VCs and various different kind of funding. And um, people are really scared of CapEx, <laughs> especially like in, in London at the moment. They're like, well, I would much prefer to invest in this new AI Tinder app that matches dogs with cats. Like, because... It, That's a great idea for an app. Sorry, go on. And um, so we're kind of in this thing of like, where is there funding for heavy capex projects? Mm-hmm. And you know, Germany has historically a strong chemical industry. 
There seems to be quite a lot of grants for early stage startups in Berlin. And so we're definitely kind of, it's a case of hedging our bets. And um, we'll apply for grants in the UK or applying for things at the moment, but we might as well also be applying for grants in Germany and Berlin. Just, yeah, to, to try and kick us through this first stage because no one will invest until we're at that PVC pilot level, really, from what we've seen. And I think also it's in, probably important to mention, you know, from what I've seen from the environment of, of Berlin, it really seems like with the Adlershof space um, and sort of the way that other people have been talking, there's, there's a real ecosystem um, where things are physically close together, which I think, you know, even in this day and age where we talk about easy communication across, you know, different countries, I think honestly having a lot of things in the same physical location just adds an advantage that you can't put a price on. Mm. Yeah, definitely makes a difference. I mean, definitely in Berlin, there's a an easy path to scale, easier path to scale. Mm -hmm. You know, starting off in one of the universities, moving to Adlershof, and then maybe outside to building a bigger industrial facility. And also links with some of the corporate VCs, you know, um, that are mostly German-based. Right. All the advantages. Everyone should move to Berlin. <laughs> Many of whom are going to be there on Tuesday, which uh, we we didn't know that we'd be meeting the head of the VC arm of BASF, Ivonic, and Merck yeah, yep. as well, which are <laughs> yep. kind of three out of the five largest chemical companies in Europe and three go. out of the top 10 or 15 in the world. So, uh, yeah, we're hotly awaiting that, and uh, we're going to have to do some preparation. We were, we were discussing this week, like, um, or the last kind of two weeks, we were like, should we try and be on their radar? Should we try and keep away from, like, some of the big chemical companies already? And we're like, oh, I guess we're presenting to three of them, so that's, uh, that's made that decision for us. <laughs> so Tuesday is our um, Accelerator's demo day. I guess this episode will probably air after that. So by then... You will already have signed so contracts with these guys. So if you go to com and there is no website. <laughs> it's because they shut us down. But we'd be very proud of that if that happened. Or they bought you. Yeah, who knows? Let's see what happens Tuesday. We're all very excited. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the rest of your team. So it's obviously the two of you. Is there anyone else involved in this project? Any other people you're working with? Yeah, there is. Um, we're looking at Roz, who was here for the last week or so. Um, that was also a pretty quick story. Like I met her three weeks ago, and we had a we had a coffee, and she was looking for business development roles in startups and funding. And I was just like, I was like, "Hey, rogue suggestion! Do you want to just come to Berlin for two and a half weeks? Um, see how we get on. Call it like a job interview, or maybe we help each other. Like a really long job yeah. interview. <laughs> and I was like, you get to come to Berlin for two and a half weeks. You know, what's 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 there to lose? We had a, so we met for the second time and like hashed out a plan. And we were like, what are the pros? What are the cons? And we're like, we can't really see any cons. Like the worst that happens is we you don't, don't get along. We don't get along. Yeah. And you know that's fine. Um, but we have got along. Uh, and it's gone really well, and I think, yeah, we're, we're looking to see how we can move that forward. That's uh, nice. With her as on the kind of core team. And then we've also been building up kind of a set of advisors, some from uh, ex-industry who have worked on aerogels kind of at an industrial level, both their synthesis and their kind of composition and formulation and engineering, as in, like material engineering. And then also um, some professors in some of the bigger institutions as well who have a lot of experience in their in their process 
Yeah, so we, I think we're very strong in terms of our advisory team. Quite a team. So one of the things we ask most entrepreneurs that we invite on our podcast is, why do this at all? Why start a company? You know, most of you are scientists. I'm a masochist. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a good reason. <laughs> but what what is the motivation, right? Why do it? It's risky business. It takes a long time. You might never get investment. I'm sure you will, but you know that could happen. So why? What what drives you? Should I? Okay. Both of you can answer this question. Um, <laughs> Not at the same time. I, I, the concept of a normal job bores the fuck out of me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just to begin with. The reality of a normal job bores the fuck out of me. <laughs> so really, it's fighting boredom. Yeah. I okay. mean, you know, like most jobs, um, you, you might, in the first few months, you learn a lot and you kind of, and then you kind of settle into it. And I think for me, one, the idea of starting something yourself has always been something I've wanted to do. And I'd probably have to give that credit to my dad, who like started a company in the spare room of our house making books. He was a book designer. And so as growing up, he was just there as like one person. And then um, now it's a company of like 30 people. So I've kind of watched that grow as I've grown up. So that's been like a big inspiration. And I've always been like, I'd love to do, like make my own company and create something that's good for the world and does something positive. Yeah. And so that was that was like one aspect of it. And then again, I think you just, you know, the opportunity to start something and grow it and to have this huge impact has always really pushed me. I think on my end, I've worked, you know, I worked in R&D for uh, Air Liquide, who's an industrial gas company. I've worked in R&D for Daimler uh, as well, doing fuel cell research. And this isn't to criticize the R&D companies, sorry, departments of those companies, because they do do a lot of great work. But often the connection between the research arm of the company and the corporate arm is not great. And sometimes there isn't actually a direct business need for a lot of those things. And so I was interested in working on something that involved technology development, but where we had the financial and market pressure to really bring the best work out of us and make sure that we were always focused on something that was going to produce something that really was needed. And so I think that's what's so great about our project is that we are at an early scale. Um, there is a lot of work to do in terms of technology development and fundraising. Um, but the potential for success is huge, you know, both in terms of the process and just in terms of what it can bring to literally a billion-dollar industry. And I, I think Sam mentioned this as well, that people are scared because of the CapEx, but part of that is because the industries that chemical processes touch you know, span the entire globe, and these products are produced, like I said, in like metric tons per day. So if you do make a significant innovation, you're going to have a truly global impact. And I guess kind of coming back to... Um, R&D, you know, I worked in, I did my PhD for four years, I've worked as a postdoc for a year in academia, and, you know, academia can do amazing things, but creating actual products the market wants is useless. And so I was just so frustrating to, to be there producing something. I spent like four years on my PhD, and I knew that it would never work after the first year on a, on a commercial scale, right? And so that's academia in a nutshell. And I was like, I can't do this. I want to I wanna create things. I want to make new materials. I want to create stuff that can have impact. But academia, just there is no appetite for that in terms of speed. And so again, I was like, something that's market-driven, something that you know is needed and that you can scale really quickly and fast. And just a note to anyone listening out there, Thermilon still loves universities and large corporations. We'd, we'd love to talk to you. We love everyone. 
But yeah, the speed at which you can do things in a startup is very different and how, how practical things can be as opposed to theoretical. I guess in a, in a more polite way, that's also how you... Yes, <laughs> I'm not insulting any, <laughs> <laughs> any academics out there. Um, all right. So guys, maybe to wrap it up, um, what is the dream? Where would you like to see Thermilon in how many years? Three years, let's say. No? Fewer years, more years? I was going to say five. Five years, okay. Five years is enough time. It's, it's been a large topic of discussion. I want us definitely to get to a, an industrial style plant um, that's producing on large quantities. I'm not sure I want to see us become a global insulation producer. I think Sam and I are entrepreneurs and innovators. I'm not sure we're commercial managers for billion-dollar global businesses. Maybe we are. Yeah, um, we, we've had that conversation with a few startups in this space, whether you want to make a really good product or technology and then um, sort exit. of exit and move on to the next thing that you'll invent, or whether you see yourselves as like the managers of a big business based on this idea you have now. I mean, yeah, you never say never, because I think there is the potential that if things are going well and we have the right advisors and we've built this kind of mini-scale industrial facility, if there's the commercial appetite to just go for it, I think that's definitely a, a possibility. But I think the more likely scenario is that we either exit mm -hmm. or we team up with a large corporate. So go in with either a joint venture or something else. Because I think, you know, just the, the backing to build, say, a $100 million facility is is going to be very difficult on our own without the huge experience of a massive multi, multinational conglomerate. And uh, I, th I think that is the route that most companies like us go through. Um, I've seen quite a few through my university and then also through a process engineering company I worked at in Vancouver that sort of supported startups through their own uh, lab and development space, is that, yeah, either they join up with a major industrial partner or they become a technology licensor. I think for us, joining up with an industrial partner is the, the ideal situation and what I think is more likely to happen. Well, we um, will be there to support you in case we can. Something uh, Marie from the High Tech Grundfund also said was, you know, if you're at the point that you've, you, you're building one or two hundred million dollar facilities, there are really not many companies that could buy you. <laughs> so if as a, you know, from an investment point of view, from someone else investing in you and they want to see where you're going to exit and how you're going to exit, if you, if you go too far, you become... Too expensive. Too expensive. <laughs> I guess you can IPO um, is the other option. Yeah. But. Plus that way it uh, gives us a chance to get going on our next brilliant idea. Exactly. Move on to change the world some more. Absolutely. All right. Any one big ask or a couple of big asks you would have in case um, anyone listening could, could help you? What are you looking for at the moment? Anything at all that you money. want? Money. <laughs> money. If anyone has money to throw around. Yeah, I guess I think in the next or invest wisely, three months, we're going to be looking for angel investment in the kind of 250 to 300,000 to build this kind of uh, mini lab scale PVC pipe. I think we, we have, have a lot of thing. rich listeners out there. So. And I think, I think money as well, but also, like I mentioned, we are looking for a process technology scale-up ecosystem. So, you know, we're looking at a couple options, both in the UK and in Germany at the moment. Um, but yeah, anywhere where, you know, we have open, low-scale industrial space uh, and a lab nearby, 
you know, a combination of academics and corporates nearby is really ideal. Wonderful. Absolutely. <laughs> Great. Thank you, guys. It was lovely having you. Thank you. Thanks. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup the Science with Thermulon. If you'd like to get in contact with them or learn more about them, go to thermulon.com. Links are in the description. Thanks for listening to Startup the Science. If you like our show and want to know more about what we do, check out our website at enam.berlin. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time.